Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in the last enforcer, Charles Oakley. Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be on it. We got to sell this book now. Let's go. A hundred percent. So what what made you want to write this? Well, uh, you know, over the years, you know, doing press, doing podcasts, interviews, talking to people, saying they like my conversation, my story. Uh, you know, just I'm getting older. Just I just feel like I, I want people to hear me out about my growing up, you know, going through life, my consistency with life and it's all in this book. A hundred percent. And I was telling you right beforehand, I'm super dyslexic and I honestly hate reading. I'm an audiobook guy, but I was able to read this in one sitting, cover to cover. And I'm also a Knicks fan. So, and, okay. and I wasn't around in the nineties. So to get a little bit of that, you know, inside scoop on, on yes. those years was, uh, was definitely cool. In addition to the fact that you're, I can't think of anybody else that has the relationships that you do with the greatest basketball players yes. of all time, you know, going back before MJ to LeBron, you know, that, that angle of it and your perspective is what also, you know, kept me locked in, in a way that nobody else can really speak to. So um, I think one of the most key stories, you know, in my life, but a lot of um, the stuff in the book is key too. But when Moses Malone came to my university, Virginia Union, he was from Petersburg and asked me, where's this kid, Charles Oakley? I mean, a guy, Hall of Famer, one of the best centers ever played the game, to come and ask where's Charles Oakley? I mean, I was, I was just say, hey, I didn't know what to do, what to say, but I was like, wow, Moses Malone asked about me. So basically, I had some of his skill, that, you know, like rebounding, this and that, that Moses Malone probably the best rebounder ever. Uh, you know, I had, I mean, I was a rebounder, so I could see why he wanted to know where I was at because I was average just minutes rebound was point in Virginia Union. So shout out to Moses Malone, rest in peace. But uh, but in this book, you know, you hear a lot about people, I've been, you know, walk of life, not just basketball, football, baseball, celebrities, just people, in, you know, all over, we had we 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 bonded easy. It was like the eighties and nineties. I think everybody said they want to know about the eighties and nineties. But in this book, we'll tell you a lot about the eighties and nineties. You averaged twenty four and seventeen, going thirty one and zero in the year of college, and then you were still wondering, you know, where you were going to get drafted, which is crazy to me because <laughs> if I were you, I mean, I know you were a confident guy back then, but. If I had just put up 24 and 17, there wouldn't be a worry in my mind. What was well, your mentality going into the draft after putting up 24 and 17? So in this book, you know, I went to a historic black college and you didn't hear about too many guys coming out. Earl Monroe, Rick Mahorn, uh, you know, a few other guys, you know, Willis Reed went to a small, um, um, historic black college. But anyway, going to that, Numbers, it didn't register like some big D1 school. I could have right. had 30 and 20. I still have been worried about, because they said I was going to go fourth round, third round. I ain't going to the top 10, thanks to my man, Jerry Krause, rest in peace in the Bulls organization. But uh, yeah, I was I was doing my thing, but I didn't know it was going to get me what it got me, but 
I mean, they say you never know what happened in life. Just work hard and be consistent. A hundred percent. No, that that's for sure. Um, I heard in the book oh, I read that Kareem also came to campus and would be asking for you while he was, you know, hanging out with people. Did you ever talk to him back then? Uh, I, I, I don't remember Kareem. I know Moe's Malone. I might get that mixed up, but... Uh... I mean, playing against Kareem in the league, I mean, he was just a special. You know, nobody else never could cut, no one else could du duplicate the sky hook. It was only yeah. one guy. You no, know, you can be like Mike, you can be like Magic, but nobody was like Kareem. And nobody even tried. So I get that, you know, Kareem was probably the best center of all time uh, in our era, towards the end, him and Shaq, Moses Malone, them type of guys, Akeem. For sure. Now, while we're on the topic of Virginia Union, Ben Wallace, did yes. you see the potential in him right out of the gate, or was that something that was proven to you over time? So in his book, so in my book, I talk about Ben Wallace came to a camp in Alabama. He's from Alabama. And my sister, my aunt, was telling me, come back, do something for the kids in the summertime. You know, a lot of kids, you know, parents, low-income families, they, you know, really can, you know, do on that too much on their own. So I started to do a camp, me and my, for like, you know, my cousin doing it now. So we've been doing this camp over 30 something years together. And uh, Ben Wallace came to the camp and we accepted him in. He came, he came that Tuesday, registration was Monday, came in and uh, he looked good. And I was talking to him. He said, that's what school he was going to. He said he had offers from LSU, uh, some SEC school, you know, Alabama and, I said, well, you know, I got my partner from Cleveland. He's assistant coach in uh, Tri-C in Cleveland. And uh, make a long story short, he ended up going to Tri-C in Cleveland, transferring to Virginia Union. And after that, you know, um, he didn't get drafted with a free agent, went to Boston, Orlando, next thing you know, in Detroit. And, you know, ended up in Chicago, Cleveland. But he had a great career, um, you know, a championship, four defensive players of the year. Uh, he just got inducted to the Hall of Fame. So I can say I, I recruited one guy my whole career uh, going to Virginia Union, and that was him. He was the only guy I was wow. like, said, go here. Out of all the guys I've been around, because, you know, I see he had some work happen like I had. Some guys good, but, you know, I didn't go with guys good and, and played around. I, I, I went with guys who work at their craft, someone work hard. I know going to be disciplined, no trouble. That gives you a fantastic track record of recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> one for uh, one. Now, when you were drafted to Chicago, how much did you know about Michael Jordan? Because uh, he, he was, you know, but what did you think when you were drafted? Um, no, basically, my college coach knew his college coach, Dean Smith. They was real, you know, because they, they did tournaments together. I didn't know nothing about him. But I heard a lot about him on the news, but never seen him play a lot. But when I got there, you know, I know he had done the year before. He was great, the best rookie since sliced cheese and made the all-star <laughs> team, that I this and that. And then my rookie year, he took me to the all-star game in Dallas. And, you know, we just bonded. We just, you know, to this day, we still, you know, you can tell by that, by the forward of the book. I'm, totally. Is that something that you <laughs> asked him to write? Yeah, so I called him. He's, and I was talking to him about something else and this and that. And I said, you going to do the four of my book? He said, sure. I said, he said, when you need it. I said, about three or four days. And they kind of know. 
<laughs> you gave Michael a three-day deadline? <laughs> yes. Wow, that, that speaks to your guys' relationship. That's awesome. It was good, I too. Him, I just wanted to get it over. You know, if you think long, he might change his mind, but no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I totally read it in his voice as well, as I read the entire book in, in your voice, which is pretty cool. Um, do you think, so obviously Krauss drafted you. Right. Do you think he is one of the more overhated people in you know NBA history and the Bulls organization especially after you know all the documentary stuff uh for the book I really talk about Jerry how he really made me who I am into this world today I gotta give him a lot of credit for drafting me and trading me bringing me back and believing in me I don't think that um for hate I mean I think People ain't gonna hate Jerry. It's just it's just the noise for the last three or four years what people are saying. Cause you gotta realize that somebody had to put that team together. I mean, yeah. And somebody had to know what what pieces go good together. Even though Dennis Rodman was crazy and wild, but he, but he was a piece. You know, somebody get eighteen rebounds a night. It's hard. It's like, you know, A B. You know, he got talent. That's why team keep picking him up. And you know, he, he they, the first thing he did something crazy, take his jersey off and walk off the field. He recorded the coach in the locker room. He, you know, so guys crazy. I mean, they put up with it to a point. Hey. So AD, you know, Dennis Rodman was crazy too, in a way, because he did a lot of crazy stuff on the floor, off the floor. But but games, you know, he played well. I give him credit. But uh, you know, but Jerry did a lot. I mean, for people hate, I don't get I I, I can't take it in who hate him, who don't hate him, but I got Jerry back, so I don't get caught up in that. That's great. Yeah, I mean... If you read the book, you see Jerry's my course. guy. Yeah, yeah, so, 100%. 100%. Um, you know, there are so many decisions that he made that weren't obvious, like the Scottie Pippen draft pick and the, the trade, right? Right. Like I said, he put pieces together. I mean, somebody else could have been GM probably scared to make moves. I mean, I know the pay, pay and the guys want to get paid, but they signed the contracts. Michael signed a seven-year contract. Scotty signed a seven-year. I mean, Jerry Reinstock won tandem contracts. Some teams did, but he didn't. So, and they, uh, Jerry get the blame for them guys not, you know, for Jerry Reinstock not, you know, we we make you know tandem contract and give him a new contract. So, I mean, Jerry was a little man on the total pole, and but he did a lot to make them win games. I think. Now, when you first got to Chicago, you said this, and I quote from the book, talk is cheap and actions speak louder than words. I'm the real deal. How did you have that kind of confidence as a rookie? Well, basically, you know, being around my grandfather, instilling hard work, effort, no, stay within yourself. I knew that I understood basketball IQ-wise. Uh, my college coach, Dave Robinson, was a great coach, and I know what he had taught me was a fundamental. When you fundamental sound, you can travel. Now, who you planning with, now you show them you got a force and you're going to work. You keep doing all that, right. then you show them you're smart. You, you dedicated. That's what drove me. Was there a moment in those first few seasons where I know there's the famous uh, Bulls game against the Celtics where Larry Bird said that Michael Jordan was like God. Was there a moment for you where you thought, oh, this guy is more than just the best player on our team or more than just the best player in the NBA. Well, did you have that moment? 
Uh, in the book, I talk a lot about when he took me to the All-Star game uh, on the court. It was just, uh, yeah, I know he did the 63 in the playoff, but, you know, he was hurt early in the season. But it's just his swagger. He, he, he had the it factor. Some guys don't have it. He had the it factor, and it's shown. Like Joe Burrow, he got the it factor. Tom Brady had the it factor. Some quarterback just good. And uh, if you go to Aaron Rodgers, I don't think he got the it factor. He, he, he's serious about the game, but some about him. And same thing with happened to Aaron Rodgers happened to me with Pastor Jordan in New York. Seems like he keeps saying he need more help. Do, you you do your job. Let management decide what needs to be put another player on the team with this and that. So I think this year he just did too much talking. He talked himself away from maybe winning a championship and just staying disciplined like everybody else on the team just come out and play hard. And as you mentioned in the book, MJ was super quiet those first few years when he was gaining new ground when you guys were playing together. Um, and that I think media often portrays it being a very joking atmosphere, like you mentioned in the book. How serious was it and playing in those early years, uh, you know, in, in your eyes? Early years, it was a lot of physicality, a lot of, you know, you had to be on your, you had to be on your game at all times, because back then, Guys can play. It wasn't nobody. You get hurt, you get your job back. Most of the time, you got hurt back then. You didn't get your job back. You had to prove yourself. Uh, it was just one. It was like a warfare. I mean, MJ came in the league. I mean, guys was maybe jealous of him. He had he had to prove himself. And you can go back to when the All Star game. They tried to freeze him out. So he had some 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 curls. I mean, some 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 turns in the road to make for himself to find out that it ain't it ain't never easy. Uh, people always, you know, aiming at you. So took him three or four years to get his legs wound up to really find out about what NBA was all about. And when he did, that's when they took off and won the rings. Sure. Now, you were traded to New York while at a Mike Tyson fight. And this yeah. is reading the book. The, th the thing that I just kept seeing over and over again was you just surrounded yourself with the greatest athletes of all time. And I don't know how you did it because it was across every sport. Tyson, you know, NFL MVPs, LeBron, Jordan. I mean, obviously there are reasons for every single it's one. It, it, uh, it's Bruce incredible. There are some, I mean, so my thing, it was just, it was like that back in the 80s now because you end up in the same place with a lot of celebrities. And, you know, being around Michael early, you know, people's flopping around him. So I get to meet him through him, meet the president through him. And I mean, just like it was an Oprah was in Chicago when he was there. I come to New York, the Jeters, the CC uh, Sebastian. I mean, it was just, they was there. And I went to baseball game, and we went to baseball game several times when, when the Cubs were playing, I think, Atlanta in the playoffs. Uh, and uh, we went to Atlanta with the Cubs, you know, so MJ likes sports. So if he was off season and it was, uh, one of the, like, the Blackhawks or the Cubs or the White Sox, somehow he'd just go to the game, get a group of guys, it was like when North Carolina played uh, Michigan State in the final up in uh, Forest Field in Detroit. We went up there, had a sweep. He, you know, even though it was Carolina, he went to Carolina. But I'm just saying that he do go to the football game. He like to have fun. I mean, he went. He like to smoke cigars, play golf. But he do like go to fight. We used to go to Kentucky Derby. I should have put this in the book. So we used to go to Kentucky Derby on like a Tuesday, play golf through you know Friday, Saturday, because the big race Saturday, right? Go to the race, come back. Got a private plane. Go see Mike. Mike Tyson. I was fighting that night on the on the 
what is it, like April the 4th, that weekend. No, May the 4th, that first weekend of May. It was always a big fight in Vegas. So we would go to the Derby and get a plane, change clothes on the plane in the air, and go to the fight. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, living life to the fullest, no doubt. Yeah, we had fun, though. I mean, you, hey, you and MJ, private playing where you go. And, you know, it's, uh, hey, the next book, you think, sir, wait till, you, wait till the next book, comes. Because these just some story to, you know, get you engaged and let you know up. I have fireworks, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> I do have fireworks in my book. The thing that audibly made me laugh out loud while reading the book is you cooked dinner for MJ, Oprah, and Donald Trump in the same night. Nobody else can say that. Well, it was, it was, you know, it was, uh, Cookie was there, Paul, you know, Denzel White was there, Samuel White was there. Beyonce, Jay Z, Bob Jones—I mean Ray Lewis. It was G. It was it was at least fifty six celebrities there, and they all flew in town, private plane, da da da. And later on that night, it started snowing. But Trump was the only one who got out of there, some kind of way. Out of twelve private planes, he only went out lived and went on to Florida, and everybody else had to stay there for two days to the store. It was like twenty inches altogether. That's crazy. Something about that doesn't sound safe, but I guess he made it out. <laughs> well, Trump made the phone call. So in the book, I said he made the call to that guy in Russia. So he got the connection. <laughs> I guess so. Um, yeah, those those years sound sounded wild because there was one point where you, when you were all on the wizard, when you and MJ were on the wizards again yes. the second time, uh, you, MJ, and Patrick Ewing were all living in the Ritz in DC. Right. Yep. Yep. Did you what guys all hang? It? Did you guys all hang out together? I know it was more you and MJ. See, and in Patrick the book, didn't. I talk about Patrick was coaching then. We was players, so a coach really couldn't don't want to hang with the players. But we let him go to dinner with us about 20, 30 times. All of a sudden, he want to go eat with us now, and he's a coach. Sometimes that don't look good to other players, but we did hang out, you know, on the road, but not at home too much. Me and Michael always hung out. We was like, if we didn't have practice, we watching TV or just hanging out. Cause we, I stayed in the South, he stayed in the North, Patrick stayed in the North. So basically just walk across the tunnel, I'm there. That's so funny. Did it feel like you were in college again, but just very expensive, uh, fancy feel, college? It did, have a, it, really, it did have that type of feeling because my college was only like uh, 90 miles away. And I seen a lot of my friends who went to school with me because it was from Washington and Baltimore. So. It did feel like a, you know, right down the street from Georgetown, um, you know, George Washington. So Maryland was a, more in Prince County, but um, it, it had the atmosphere because he was running to so many people, you know, like, oh, oh, I went to, I went here, I went there, I went, you know, so it did have a lot of atmosphere at college. That sounds like a lot of fun. One thing I wanted to ask you about for sure was when the Space Jam filming was happening. Right. There were all these games. And since you were right. both in the movie, friends with MJ, and a great player, you were in all of them. What right. were those games like? And are those the greatest pickup games you've ever been uh, a part of? I mean, we was in a bubble, you know, like they did in uh, Orlando with the NBA. But it was no, no virus or nothing. But it was at least two or 3,000 people every day we played watching on the side. I mean, like, if you lose, it's, it's like four teams, so you had to wait. So... It was just like you thought it was a it was a game because LA, you know, front row in New York is just celebrity row. Mm -hmm. it, it was it was like that moment. So it was so intense in there. 
and people was like, and they was in awe, like all these celebrities in here and all these high skilled basketball players. And they, you know, like regular season like two months away and they in here just playing like it's regular season now. It was something incredible. They should have put that in the space there. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like maybe more people would have watched that. <laughs> oh, it was it was it was a special. If it basically reality went out then, so basically, you know, but it was it was like wow to see people because MJ, he was like a magnet. With MJ around, people gonna they want to be around, they want to be in this, you know, in the room or wherever he at because. You know, magic. I mean, all them type of guys, when they're in a place that people can, you know, come to and just be there, they want to be there. Yeah, in the book, you said tons of celebrities were there too, which I, I didn't know. I thought it was just kept to players. So that. No, no, it was celebrities. Yes, big time. That's pretty cool. Who was the MVP of all those games? Um, it was different teams. I know one day that uh, MJ couldn't get a win. And I think only time you got to win when I played when I played against him, my thing when I play pickup I I talk about this, I play pickup the same way I play ain't no layups I don't, especially pickup now you can't punk out you can't just call out and two or three thousand people watching you you got the man either shoot your jumper you definitely ain't going to the hole so it was one of them type things that you ain't gonna get no chip chippy call like no you ain't gonna get that yeah you said in the book that maybe 20% of guys in the NBA today could play with the physicality and toughness of when you played. What makes you give that low of an estimate? That's high, really. It's just, it could be low. <laughs> it's just what I see. I, I, you know, I have a vision. I mean, it's 30 teams and basically I'm saying maybe <laughs> Maybe some team don't have none. Some team might have two. That's what I'm saying. But uh, it's just what I see. I just what I see and how they play is different structure. I give them that. But you still got to play the game. You still got to turnovers, free throws, your field goal percentage. So everything, you know, analytics is a big thing in basketball. So if analytics said, take these guys from right now and put them back in a 1990 game, how many will survive? If they got the stats, they can come up with a stat. So I think I'm being real nice saying 20%. Do you think that is to credit from the three-pointer and spreading the court out? I mean, Golden State started it, you know, with Clay and Steph. I mean, it's a copycat lead. So everybody feels like in high pick and roll, but they right. they play a, a motion offense. Everybody else just play a stand around offense. It's a difference. That's why they get somebody to cut to the basket, you know, Catch guys sleeping back door. They go back door a lot. They guys don't want to check people moving. If I'm other teams in the league, they just high pick and roll, stand there. So if, I, if I'm if I was playing this day age, I would really tell my coach we need to play more zone because they're gonna come right to you. They ain't driving. They shooting three. So we play uh, you know a two three or uh, you know one two two. Uh, but I think it's just it's just it's a different ball game. It's a totally different yeah. ball game. The only thing different is, only thing the same is the the court size in the rim. <laughs> they got three officials now. I mean, they got answer replay. They got you know second shot. You know, you get fourteen seconds on on you know, the second shot. I mean, I mean basketball is basketball. You you know, get if you get offensive rebound, they said what we set the shot clock. Get twenty four seconds. So they trying to speed the game up to get points, but sometimes it seems like 
no matter what you do to change stuff, if you ain't got the type of player, it ain't gonna work. Right, for sure. Um, speaking of, you know, Golden State and Steph Curry, you played with his father, Del Curry. Steph was yes. around the team. He was like 10, 11 years old. Right. You had no idea, right? I didn't know idea, but I knew that he could shoot. I didn't know the pro status, but the whole family played one on one, two on two after every practice. Then, then Steph playing one on one with Vince. Then they, the first one make a half court shot. He's 10, 11 years old. If he make it in the den, you can you can see something gonna happen. You don't know how it's gonna happen. For sure. Now you were playing in the NBA Finals, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been the Eastern Conference Finals when the telebroadcast shut out and they cut to the O.J. Simpson car chase, if I'm not mistaken, right? Oh, yeah. Now, did you guys have any idea? Did anybody tell you during the game, or was that something you found out way later? Well, we basically, you know, you can see people in the, fan, in the crowd, you know, you know, they can... In a timeout, everybody was like moving around, talking to one another. But we, yeah, we basically didn't find out until like after the game, but it was crazy. Um, I mean, you know, stuff do happen. <laughs> that was big. That was a world shaking news moment. And it's yeah, just it crazy. It felt like just even watching it back, like Space Jam, where it would cut from reality to this dystopian situation um so it's definitely crazy and wild that you guys are playing um now when you were traded from new york to the raptors you had difficulty getting across the border i didn't know this story um it sounded like in the book that you didn't care like you cared but you were just you just went to stay in buffalo and worked out what was that like getting traded to the team and then not being able to get into their country? Well, I mean, I talk about this in the book, but it, it wasn't a fault. It was just something, you know, in, in Canada, they real strict about get, going over the border. Um, it was something on my behalf, but we got it straightened out. I, yeah, I did go to, got a room, went to the gym, worked out. So the prime minister called and got me through. I mean, that's part of gr growing in life, but I'm a, I was a veteran, so I was patient with it, and I just waited. I, I mean, I knew I wasn't going to jail nowhere, so I was cool <laughs> with it. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, there's one story in the book that I wanted to be sure to ask you about. Is you There was a MJ scrimmage and a junior LeBron, who you and him, you and MJ knew about, knew that seemed like he was going to be a, a little bit of a big deal. Um, so you invited him to this scrimmage. Was that the first time that he, that you guys met and that he also met MJ? First time he met MJ. He's in Chicago with his family, uh, his mom, his aunt. I mean, just uh, this whole clique had their moms there, a math mom with their rich part. I mean, uh, so they travel like that. And, uh, you know, Tim Grover had the gym. And uh, we always, you know, come in and work out. Then, you know, play for like an hour and a half. They were just, just in all i think lebron learned something from being there because he saw that hard work pay off and everybody just working on their game and you know when nobody taking it for granted upcoming season they were putting in the work and you know he hung around all day with us and just had a ball what did uh what did you and mj think of his game did you think that he had the potential well, to make I, the immediate jump like he did 
No, he didn't play with us. Uh, he shot, shot jumpers on the sideline. They didn't let him play, though. But he, like I said, he watching, you know, just shooting around, as most younger guys do. If you ain't playing the game, uh, get a ball and shoot jumpers. And, you know, I know he probably wanted to get an action because he was big enough, physical enough. They just said, no, nah, we just, you know, wait a year or two till you, you know, get a little older or whatever. Like they told me when I was young, you know, big boys in the playground, you know. I was, that's what I did when I was young. I went to the playground early just in case somebody came came late. They let me play. But besides that, you had to wait till your turn. You guys didn't want him to get injured, right? That was a big part well, of it, it's too. Just, you know, just a, hey, you know, you know, the guy was, like I said, when I play pickup, I play like I play in basketball. So I didn't want him to come out there. And we went to hole. I mean, MJ, whoever, when, when you're on the court and pick, I don't know nobody's name. So could be LeBron, LeBron with the bats. He probably was trying to dunk. I'm definitely going to challenge it. I don't give up layups. So it could have been, I'm glad he pick didn't up. play, maybe <laughs> be on the safe side. Yeah. Now, speaking of your unique position, having relationships with both LeBron and MJ, um, I think personally, I think the GOAT debate is ridiculous. But what are some of the biggest similarities you see between both LeBron and, and Michael? Uh, one, just they feel the calendar for, you know, being great. Uh, two is both of them move the needle, both of them move the needle in, in crowds and being in a room. Uh, I mean, they keep people around them and uh, good people in, in a good way. Uh, they just, they just great athletes. They're just two great guys. Uh, you know, it's, I hate the comparison, and put them in, the, you know, this and that all the time. But they just two genuinely great guys. So I can say that. That's awesome. What do you want people to take away from this book after after reading it? The last enforcer, this hey, the consistency in the book and me, the people I've been around to help me grow through life. Especially my grandfather gave me so much in strength and work work habit and uh, just you know just the good stuff and I've been doing for people, helping people out charity wise. And what I've been doing, just being myself, being strong individual, don't take nothing for granted, just work hard. Do you have a favorite game from your NBA career, personally? Uh, I don't try to get into stats. Uh, I leave that to people who watch me or who go, you know, go into looking at the numbers. I think it's hard to say a personal game. I think the best thing was getting drafted. The next best thing was going to the finals. A third thing was... You know, I think just, you know, over the years, the fans who cheered for me, showed me love. And, and that's all I can say. You know, the fans is really a part of my life. You know, New York, Toronto, Chicago, all over the NBA. I never had a fan that really said nothing crazy to me. They just always said, keep working hard. You know, so a lot of love. Those are some incredible fan bases, too, by the way, especially with how the NBA has expanded. Right. Um, yeah, that's pretty amazing. I read at the end of the book that you, MJ, and, and some of these other guys still play sports against each other, whether it be tennis or golf. Right. Um, is that something you have to you have to keep yourself in, in top shape for just in well, case? Well, I try to stay in top. I think in the book, I don't know what to say about this, but when we retired, we were trying to find, well, you know, not find ourselves like, you know, what to do, but we would just to stay active. We was like, I one day I went to the um, sporting good. I told him, Jay, I'm going to buy some tennis rackets. So for about two or three months, we played tennis like two or three days a week. 
Uh, we were doing other stuff, playing, always playing golf. Then we started playing like, like in Chicago had an inner city team, like, you know, a traveling team, play other teams in other cities. So we started playing the neighborhood guys. We go, this, we go to this place called Foster Park every Saturday morning. And I think it's nine o'clock to 1030. It's a running clock. So all the best celebrities in Chicago, I mean, not celebrities, all the ball players would come to Foster Park on 95th on the south side every Saturday morning and play ball. So we then Sunday we would go to Stanley. It was like a place for breakfast, watch the Bears, or you'd go to the Bears game. So we were, we were just doing stuff as, you know, had to get the league first two or three years. And then we had a ball. Traveling a lot, the Bahamas, out the country, you know, we just had a ball. That's awesome. Well, for everybody else, I hope you buy and read The Last Enforcer by this man right here. Charles, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you again for writing this book because I genuinely really enjoyed it and had a good time. It's a lot funnier than people might expect. And yeah. that, that was one of my favorite parts about it too. Um, but congratulations on the book and, and thank you again for coming on. No, thank you. Thank you for reading and keep pumping that book for me. I appreciate it. I got you. All right, everybody. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Peace.